Hi, I'm Alex. Welcome to Reading. Poorly. Uh, especially after the cliffhanger last week, I do feel the need to mention a disclaimer. <laughs> um, these, uh, This season of episodes of this book, I'm not marking explicit uh, because it is not like adult themes, it is not swearing and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it may still be objectionable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This book is about slavery. It talks detail about slavery. This last, uh, this last chapter ended with a cliffhanger that implied that there'd be some sort of slavery-related altercation in this one. So, just letting you know, you, you might get uncomfortable. I am going to get uncomfortable. That is the point. Um, I am reading this to make me uncomfortable, to make me mad about slavery, um, so that I can learn more about it. Um, I hope that you come along for the ride and you also become uncomfortable and you get mad about it. And yeah, with that, 12 Years a Slave, Chapter 10. At the end of a month, my services being no longer required at Tanner's, I was sent over the bayou again to my master, whom I found engaged in building the cotton press. The cotton press. There's apparently a specific one that I have forgotten. This was situated at some distance from the great house in a rather retired place. I commenced working once more in company with Tabitz, being entirely alone with him most part of the time. Um, I remembered the words of Chapin, his precautions, his advice to beware, lest in some unsuspecting moment he might injure me. They were always in my mind, oh, they were always in my mind, so that I lived in a most uneasy state of apprehension and fear. One eye was on my work, the other on my master. I determined to give him no cause of offense, to work still more diligently, if possible, than I had done, to bear whatever abuse he might heap upon me, save bodily injury, humbly and patiently hoping thereby to soften in some degree his manner towards me until the blessed time might come when I should be delivered from his clutches. <sighs> I did that one in one breath. I'm going to read that one again in a more reasonable manner. I just noticed it was super long and decided to continue it in one breath. I determined to give him uh, no cause of offense to work still more diligently, if possible, than I had done, to bear whatever abuse he might heap upon me, save bodily injury, humbly and patiently, hoping thereby to soften in some degree his manner towards me unless the until the blessed time might come where I should be delivered when I should be delivered from his clutches the third morning after my return chapin left the plantation for cheneyville to be absent until night to beats on that morning was attacked with one of those periodical fits of spleen and ill humor to which he was frequently subject, rendering him still more disagreeable and venomous than usual. It was about nine o'clock in the forenoon when I was busily employed with the jack plane on one of the sweeps. Uh, Tabitz was 
standing by the workbench, fitting a handle into the chisel, which he had been engaged previously in cutting the thread of the screw. Um, my understanding, which I will admit is limited, is that a jack plane... Um, we're talking about like a plane, like a hand plane that takes shavings off of a piece of wood. Um, if I remember correctly, a jack plane has the blade at a lower angle so it can take bigger, thicker, um, thicker shavings off. Um, I don't know that that matters in this case, but, um, just to help people visualize, not like, you know, half inch shavings or something, but just, you know, not it, like instead of paper thin gossamer, it's thicker paper, <laughs> heavier paper. <laughs> um, you are not planing that down enough, said he. It is just even with the line, I replied. You're a, you're a damned liar, he exclaimed passionately. I don't, this edition is, I swear, is censoring this, and I don't know, oh, I should try uh, something else, I don't know. But, but it's weird, because it doesn't censor everything, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, oh, well, master, I said mildly, I will plane it down more if you say so. At the same time, proceeding to do as I supposed he desired. Before one shaving had been removed, however, he cried out, saying, I had now planed it too deep. It was too small. I had spoiled the sweep entirely. Then followed curses and imprecations. I had endeavored to do exactly as he directed, but nothing would satisfy the unreasonable man. In silence and in dread, I stood by the sweep holding the jackplane in my hand, not knowing what to do, not daring to be idle. His anger grew more and more violent until finally, with an oath, such a bitter, frightful oath that only Tabitz could utter, he seized a hatchet from the workbench and darted towards me, swearing he would cut my head open. It was a moment of life or death. The sharp, bright blade of the hatchet glittered in the sun. In another instant, it would be buried in my brain. And yet in that instant, so quick was a man's thoughts to come to him in such a fearful strait, I reasoned with myself. If I stood still, my doom was certain. If I fled, ten chances to one, the hatchet, flying from his hand with a too deadly and unerring aim, would strike me in the back. There was but one course to take. Springing towards him with all my power and meeting him full halfway before he could bring down the blow, with one hand I caught his uplifted arm, with the other seized him by the throat. I mean, you were holding a hand plane, you could have used that. <laughs> Not that he made a bad decision at all, but I bet the plane would have been good for knocking the hatchet around. Um... We stood looking each other in the eyes. In his, I could see murder. I felt as if I had a serpent by the neck, watching the slightest relaxation of my gripe. This is gripe, but I'm picturing grip. I don't know. To coil itself around my body, crushing and stinging it to death. I thought to scream aloud, trusting that some ear might catch the sound, but Chapin was away. The hands were in the field. There was no living soul in sight or hearing. The good genius, which thus far 
uh, through life had saved me from the hands of violence, that that moment suggested a lucky thought. With a vigorous and sudden kick that brought him on one knee, uh, with a groan, I released my hold upon his throat, snatched the hatchet, and cast it beyond reach. Frantic with rage, maddened beyond control, he seized a white oak, white oak stick, five feet long, perhaps, and as large in circumference as his hand could grasp. There was just a stick laying around. I mean, I guess there could have been. Um, oh, which was lying on the ground. Sorry, that was the end of the sentence. Um, again, he rushed towards me, and again I met him, seized him about the waist, and being the stronger of the two, bore him to the earth. While in that position, I obtained possession of the stick, and rising, cast it from me also. He likewise arose and ran for the broad axe on the workbench. Fortunately, there was a heavy plank lying upon its broad blade, in such a manner that he could not extricate it. I even practiced that in my head before I read it, but that's probably what the problem was. I was distracting myself by going ahead. Some people read ahead, um, like when they're... If they're reading aloud, they can also read to themselves while it's happening. Um, and I've never been able to do that. Uh, I can't have the two streams happening at the same time. Um, and when I'm reading to myself, and I say this like it's totally... I, I say it because for me, it's completely normal. But when I say it to people, they act like it's completely weird. But I always, and this is part of why I'm a slow reader, I always sound out the words in my head as I read them. Um, like I said, to me, I can't imagine any other way to read. I have tried. Uh, but my brain does not process words if I don't pronounce them. Um, so I can only read as fast as I can talk, basically. Um, and if I go too fast, in case you hadn't noticed <laughs> by now, um, five books in, um, in case you hadn't noticed, I can go fast for a little while, but then I start to trip over myself and, and, and lose it. Um, and that happens when I'm just reading to myself, too, silently. Okay, I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, fortunately, there was a heavy plank lying upon its broad blade in such a manner that he could not extricate it, extricate it before I, I had sprung upon his back, pressing him down closely and heavily on the plank so that the axe was held more firmly in its place. I endeavored, but in vain, to break his grasp upon the handle. In that position, we remained some minutes. I can just see this, like, super awkward. <laughs> They're both holding still, basically. And it's like arm wrestling, where the, the arms are just both sitting in the middle, but you know that they're both pushing hard. Um, there have been hours in my unhappy life, many of them, when the contemplation of death as the end of earthly sorrow, of the grave as a resting place for the tired and worn-out body, has been pleasant to dwell upon. But such contemplations vanish in the hour of peril. No man in his full strength can stand undismayed in the presence of the king of terrors. Quote, quote, king of terrors. Life is dear 
to every living thing. The worm that crawls upon the ground will struggle for it. At that moment, it was dear to me, enslaved and treated as I was. That reminds me, we have... Um, every year, my wife gets hanging, hanging plants. And we put them out front, and almost without fail, a bird will nest in them. Um, at least one of them. And it's, I swear it's different birds every year. I'm pretty sure it's been robins. I'm pretty sure it's been cardinals. And this year it's a morning dove. And, um, they joke that, um, you know, uh, some parents, some animal parents will, you know, nurture their child for blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like kangaroos literally like throw the kid back inside them for, (laughs) for a good chunk of their, their childhood and that kind of stuff. But then birds just like kick the kid out of the nest and go, good luck. Um, that happened, uh, or at least something happened such that one of the chicks was on our porch and I, Oh, I am shuddering just thinking about it. Um, I do not have the temperament to be able to pick it up. If I picked it up, I would crush it by accident. So I was trying to think of what to do. Uh, and the whole like struggling thing. Um, I was sure that in the morning it would be dead. And um, I came out and um, uh, with a shovel and started trying to pick it up. And it started moving again. I'm like, oh my God gosh, this thing is, oh, it's, you know, it's will to live is so great. <laughs> so then I tried to, I ended up putting the shovel down a step and using a broom because I couldn't get it on the shovel without a high risk of like slicing the bird. So I used a broom to sweep it onto the shovel and then I brought it up to the nest. And of course the parent was sitting there glaring at me the whole time. Usually the birds just fly away, but this one has decided it's cool with us sometimes. I don't know. Um, but it was glaring at me. And I'm like, just go. I'm trying to, you know, get your kid. <laughs> I'm trying to get your kid back in the nest. And I missed. I thought I had it in the nest. I thought I was going to get it back in the pot in the nest. And nope, it just fell down again and into a spot where I wouldn't, where I couldn't get it. I don't know what its fate is. And I feel terrible for being useless. But, yeah, it was kicked out of the nest, so I guess Mom doesn't mind. No, that's not true. I'm sure that... Um, I, I cannot speak to animal temperaments, but I'm sure at the very least that there is some sense of uh, loss or failure uh, on the part of the the parent um at let you know failure like as a parent that it's like oh i shouldn't have let him fall out that kind of thing um i don't know that remorse is the right word but maybe it is i don't know maybe birds can feel guilty about stuff i know i sure feel guilty about this about failing the the little chick but it, did I mention it's disappeared? I don't know where it is now. So I have no clue what its fate was. Or will be. Okay. <laughs> Spe- speaking of lowly life forms. Uh, let, let, well, not speaking of. He was speaking of lowly life forms. And now I'm back to... Or, and then I spoke of one. And now we're back. 
not able to unloose his hand. Uh, once more, I seized him by the throat, and this time, with a vice-like gripe grip, that I soon relaxed. Or that soon relaxed his hold. He became pliant and unstrung. His face, that had been white with passion, was now black from suffocation. Those small serpent eyes that spat such venom were now full of horror. Two great white orbs staring from their sockets. There was a quote. Oh, there was quote a lurking devil. And my heart that prompted me to kill the human bloodhound on the spot, to retain the grip, this time it's grip, on his accursed throat till the breath of life was gone. Okay, I'm going to go back. Um, uh, hell seized him by the throat with a vice-like gripe that soon relaxed his hold. To retain the grip on it. Yeah, as far as I can tell, it's just, you know more or less the same part of speech. I'm like, is this getting declined somehow? <laughs> um, I dared not murder him, and I dared not let him live. If I killed him, he must... Um, er, if I killed him, my life must pay the forfeit. If he lived, my life only would satisfy his vengeance. A voice within whispered me to fly. To be a wanderer among the swamps, a fugitive, and a vagabond on the face of the earth was preferable to the life that I was leading. My, my resolution was soon formed, and swinging him uh, from the workbench to the ground, I leaped a fence nearby and hurried across the plantation, passing the slaves at work in the cotton field. At the end of a quarter of a mile, I reached the wood pasture, and it was a short time indeed that I had been running it. Climbing onto a high fence, I could see the cotton press, the great house, and the space between. It was a conspicuous position from whence the whole plantation was in view. I saw Tabitz cross the field towards the house and enter it. Then he came out, carrying his saddle, and presently mounted his horse and galloped away. He should have taken the axe with him. Partly to keep Tabitz from having it. Partly to, to you know, use <laughs> on the run. <laughs> um, not that an axe is a light thing to carry around. Maybe the hatchet would have been better. But of course, now I'm reminded of Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. <laughs> um, for whom an axe was the uh, weapon of choice. By the way, fun book. Really fun book. The movie, weird. Adds a whole bunch of random stuff. Takes out a bunch, obviously, because, you know, it has to. Um, but just not as satisfying. Um, and I'm I'm not a... You know, the, the book is always better. Uh, you know, the movie's always bad because because the book is... No, I, I take each at face value. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, the movie has its fun moments, I guess. But um, is just not as satisfying as the book. Unfortunately, it is not public domain. <laughs> And neither is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies by the same author. Um, even though Pride and Prejudice is public domain. But that's how he could do that. The Pride and Prejudice and Zombies thing. So, um, I was desolate, but thankful. Thankful that my life was spared. Desolate and discouraged with the prospect before me. Uh, what would become of me? What, uh, who would befriend me? Whither should I fly? Oh God, thou who gavest to me life and implanted... Uh, in my bosom the love of life 
who filled it with emotions such as other men, thy creatures have to, uh, do not forsake me. Um, have pity on the poor slave. Let me not perish. If thou dost not protect me, I am lost, lost. Such supplications silently and un- unuttered ascended from my innermost inmost heart to heaven. But there was no answering voice, no sweet low tone coming down from on high. Whispering it to my soul, it is I, be not afraid. I was the forsaken of God, it seemed. Uh, the despised and hated of men. I, of course, am hearing Morgan Freeman's voice. Because <laughs> who else? Who else is right for the occasion? I, I'm sure that there are others, but Morgan Freeman, I mean, come on. In about three-fourths of an hour, several of the slaves shouted and made signs for me to run. Presently, looking up the bayou, I saw Tabitz and two others on horseback, coming at a fast gait, followed by a troop of dogs. There were as many as eight or ten. <sighs> distant I was, I knew... Um, oh, distant as I was, I knew them. They belonged on the adjoining plantation. The dogs used on Bayou Boeuf for hunting slaves are a kind of bloodhound, but a far more savage breed than is found in the northern states. They will attack a negro at their master's bidding and cling to him as the common bulldog will cling to a four-footed animal. Frequently, their loud bay is heard in the swamps, and then there is speculation as to what point the runaway will be overhauled. The same as a New York hunter stops to listen to the hounds coursing along the hillsides and suggests to his companion that the fox will be taken at such a pace, or at such a place. Should have brought the axe. Um, I never knew a slave escaping with his life from Bayoubouf. One reason is they are not allowed to learn the art of swimming and are incapable of crossing the most inconsiderable stream. In their flight, they can go in no direction but a little way without coming to a bayou, then the inevitable alternative is presented of being drowned or overtaken by the dogs. In youth, I had practiced in the clear streams that flow through my native district until I had become an expert swimmer and felt home in the watery element. I stood upon the fence until the dogs had reached the cotton press. In an instant, more, their long, savage yells announced they were on my track. Leaping down from my position, I ran towards the swamp. Fear gave me strength, and I exerted it to the utmost. Every few moments I could hear the yelpings of the dogs. They were gaining upon me. Every howl was nearer and nearer. Why did you wait? Each moment I expected they would spring upon my back, expected expected to feel their long, long teeth sinking into my flesh. There were so many of them, I knew they would tear me to pieces, that they would worry me at once to death. I gasped for breath, gasped forth um, a half-uttered choking prayer to the Almighty to save me, to give me strength to reach some wide, deep bayou where I could uh, throw them off the track or sink into its waters. Presently, I reached a thick palmetto bottom. As I fled through them, they made loud or a loud rustling noise, not loud enough, however, to drown the voices of the dogs. Um... I was going to say, you can drop the axe if you decide it won't let you swim. (laughs) Uh, Continuing my course due south as nearly as I can judge, I came at length to uh, water just over Shu. 
the hounds at that moment could not have been five rods behind me. I'm not sure how long a rod is, but I know it's one of those, like, fathoms and hands and, yeah, it's like old standards that weren't quite standard. Leagues. <laughs> um, I could hear them crashing and plunging through the palmettos, their loud, eager yells making the whole swamp clamorous with the sound. Hope revived a little as I reached the water. If it were only deeper, they might lose the scent, and thus disconcerted afford me the opportunity of evading them. Luckily, it grew deeper the farther I proceeded, now over my ankles, now halfway to my knees, now sinking a moment into my waist, or sinking a moment to my waist, and then emerging presently into more shallow places. The dogs had not gained upon me since I struck the water. Evidently, they were confused. Now their savage intonations grew more and more distant, assuring me that I was leaving them. Finally, I stopped to listen, but the long howl came booming on the air again, telling me I was not yet safe. From bog to bog, where I had stepped, they could still keep upon the track, though impeded by the water. At length, to my great joy, I came to a wide bayou, and plunging in, had soon stemmed its sluggish current to the other side. There, certainly, the dogs would be confounded. The current carrying down the stream all traces of that slight, mysterious scent, which enables the quick-smelling hound to follow the track of the fugitive. Yes, but then if they go to that shore, <laughs> they'll pick you up again. After crossing this bayou, the water became so deep I could not run. I was now in what I after learn afterwards learned was the great... The... Okay. Uh, learned was the... Great Pacuderi Swamp, I think, P-A-C-O-U-D-R-I-E, Great Pacuderi Swamp, something like that. It was filled with immense trees, the sycamore, the gum, the cottonwood, and cypress, and extends, I am informed, to the shore of the Caucasio River, Caucasio, C-A-L-C-A-S-I-E-U River. Um, for, for 30 or 40 miles, it is, uh, without inhabitants, save wild beasts, the bear, the wild cat, the tiger, and great slimy reptiles that are crawling through it everywhere. Long before I reached the bayou, in fact, from the time I struck the water until I emerged from the swamp on my return, these reptiles surrounded me. Ooh. <laughs> Um, I saw hundreds of moccasin snakes. Um, every log and bog, every trunk of a fallen tree over which I was compelled to step or climb was alive with them. They crawled away at my approach, but sometimes in my haste I almost placed my hand or foot upon them. They are poisonous serpents, their bite more fatal than the rattlesnakes. <sighs> yeah. Um, what, what does he call them? Just moccasin snakes. Okay, I've heard them called water moccasins before, but... Um, uh, besides, I had lost one shoe, the sole having come entirely off, leaving the er, the upper only dangling to my ankle. Or the upper only dangling to my ankle. Um, I saw also many alligators, great and small, lying in the water or on pieces of floodwood. The noise I made usually startled them. That'll keep the dogs away. Uh, <laughs> when they moved off and plunged into the deepest places. Sometimes, however, I would come directly upon a monster before observing it. In such cases, I would start back, run a short way around, run a short way round, and in that manner, shun them. 
straightforward, they will run a short distance rapidly, but do not possess the power of turning. Um, in a in a crooked race, there is no difficulty in evading them. See, I've heard that before. I think Mythbusters did that, where like you can run in a zigzag, except then they'll just like stay on one side and come after you or something. Um, but hey, I mean, he survived. So I, I have little doubt that he actually encountered some alligators. So, because, you know, he's in the bayous. I'm reminded of the princess and the frog at the moment. I'm pretty sure that the alligators that uh, Northup is encountering do not play trumpet. Just throwing that one out there. Just, just a little speculation. About two o'clock in the afternoon, I heard the last of the hounds. Probably they did not cross the bayou. Wet and weary, but relieved from the sense of instant peril, I continued on, more cautious and afraid, however, of the snakes and alligators than I had been in the earlier portion of my flight. Now, before stepping into a muddy pool, I would strike the water with a stick. If the waters moved, I would go around it. If not, I would venture through. At length, the sun went down, and gradually night's trailing mantle shrouded the great swamp in darkness. Still I staggered on, fearing every instant I should feel the dreadful sting of the moccasin or be crushed within the jaws of some disturbed alligator. The dread of them now almost equaled the fear of the pursuing hounds. The moon rose after a time, its mild light creeping through the overspreading branches loaded with long pendant moss. I kept traveling forwards until after midnight, hoping all the while that I would soon emerge into some less desolate and dangerous region. So he's going south, which, you know, I don't remember the map. Uh, um, but my thought is, shouldn't you be going north? <laughs> I know it's not. he's not going to be able to go far enough to make that much difference in his freedom, but... Um, it seems like you might as well go the right direction <laughs> in general. You know, not have the plantation between you and, and the north. <laughs> but, you know, he had to run where he had to run. So there's that. So, But the water grew deeper and the walking more difficult than ever. I perceived it would be impossible to proceed much farther, and knew not, moreover, what hands I might fall into, so should I succeed in reaching a human habitation. Not provided with a pass, any white man would be at liberty to arrest me and place me in prison until such time as my master should, quote, prove property, pay charges, and take me away. I was an estray. I was an estray. Like, I've gone astray. Except it's... I suppose it's spelled with an E instead of an A, so I don't know if that makes a difference. I was an astray. Um, oh, lost my place. There we go. And if so unfortunate uh, as to meet a law-abiding citizen of Louisiana, he would deem it in his duty to, to his neighbor, perhaps, to put me forthwith in the pound. <laughs> the dog pound. Really, it was difficult to determine which I had most reason to fear dogs, alligators, or men. After midnight, however, I came to a halt. Imagination cannot picture the, the dreariness of the scene. The swamp was resonant with the quacking of innumerable ducks. <laughs> okay. Since the foundation of the earth, in all probability, a human footstep had never before so far penetrated the recesses of the swamp. It was not silent now, silent to a degree that rendered it oppressive. Um... 
as it was when the sun was shining in the heavens. My midnight intrusion had wakened the feathered tribes, which seemed to throng the morass in hundreds of thousands, and their garrulous throats poured forth such multitudinous sounds. Man, this is an SAT page. There was such a fluttering of wings, such sullen sullen plunges in the water all around me, that I was affrighted, affrighted, not frightened, affrighted and appalled. Um, all the fowls of the air and all the creeping things of the earth appeared to have assembled together in that particular place. I'm pretty sure that was a Bible reference. Uh, the, the like, fowl of the air and creeping things on the, yeah. Um, for the purpose of filling it with clamor and confusion. Not by human dwellings, not in crowded cities alone, are the sights and sounds of life. Now, the wildest places of the earth are full of them. Even in the heart of that dismal swamp, God had provided a refuge and a dwelling place for millions of living things. The moon had now risen above the trees when I resolved upon a new project. Thus far, I had endeavored to travel as nearly south as possible. Turning about, I proceeded in a northwest direction. There we go. My object being to strike the pine woods in the vicinity of Master Ford's. Once within the shadow of his protection, I felt I would be comparatively safe. My clothes were in tatters, my hands, face, and body covered with scratches, received from the sharp knots of fallen trees, and in climbing over piles of brush and floodwood. My bare foot was full of thorns. I was besmeared with muck and mud, and the green slime that had collected on the surface of the dead water, in which I had been immersed to the neck many times during the day and night. Hour after hour, and tiresome indeed had uh, had they become, I continued to plod along in my northwest course. The water began to grow less deep, and the ground more firm under my feet. At last I reached the Pecoudry, the same wide bayou I had swam while outward bound. Quote, quote outward bound. I swam it again, and shortly after thought I heard a cock crow, but the sound was faint, and it might have been a mockery of the ear. Uh, the water receded from my advancing footsteps. Now I had left the bogs behind me. Now I was on dry land that gradually ascended to the plain, and I knew I was somewhere in the, quote, great pine woods. Just at daybreak I came to an opening, a sort of small plantation, but one I had never seen before. In the edge of the woods I came upon two men, a slave and his young master, engaged in catching wild hogs. The white man I knew would demand my pass, and not able to give him one uh, would take me into possession. I was too wearied to run again and too desperate to be taken, and therefore adopted a ruse that proved entirely successful. Assuming a fierce expression, I walked directly towards him, looking him steadily in the face. As I approached, he moved backwards with an air of alarm. <laughs> uh, it was plain he was much affrighted uh, that uh, he looked upon me as some infernal goblin just arisen from the bowels of the swamp. Where does William Ford live? I demanded, in no gentle tone. He lives seven miles from here, was the reply. Which is the way to his place? I again demanded, trying to look more fiercely than ever. Uh, do you see those pine trees yonder? He asked, pointing 
two, two a mile distant that arose or that rose far above their fellows, like a couple of tall sentinels overlooking the broad expanse of forest. Um, I see them was the answer at the feet of those pine trees. He continued runs the Texas road turn to the left and it will lead you to William Ford's. Without farther farther parley, I hastened forward, happy as he was, no doubt, to place the widest possible distance between us. Striking the Texas road, I turned to the left hand as directed, and soon passed a great fire, where a pile of logs was burning. I went to it, thinking I would dry my clothes, but the gray light of the morning was fast breaking away. Some passing white man might observe me. Besides, the heat overpowered me with the desire of sleep. So, lingering no longer, I continued my travels, and finally, about eight o'clock, reached the house of Master Ford. The slaves were all absent from the quarters at their work. Stepping on the piazza, I knocked at the door, which was soon opened by Mistress Ford. My appearance was so changed... I was in such a woebegone and forlorn condition, she did not know me. (laughs) The word woebegone, of course, makes me think of the Prairie Home Companion. (sighs) Um, Inquiring if Master Ford was at home, that good man... uh, What? Inquiring if Master Ford was at home, that good man, yep, made his appearance before the question could be answered. I told him of my flight, and all the particulars connected with it. He listened attentively, and when I had concluded, spoke to me kindly and sympathetically, and, taking me to the kitchen, called John and ordered him to prepare me food. I had tasted nothing since daylight the previous morning. When John had set the meal before me, the the madam came out with a bowl of milk, and many little delicious dainties, such as rarely please the palate of a slave. I was hungry and I was weary, but neither food nor rest afforded half the pleasure, as did the blessed voices speaking kindness and consolation. It was the oil and wine which the good Samaritan in the, quote, Great Pine Woods was ready to pour into the wounded spirit of the slave, who came to him, stripped his, stripped of his raiment and half dead. They left me in the cabin uh, that I might rest. Blessed be sleep. It visiteth all alike, descending as the dews of heaven on the bond and free. Soon it nestled uh, to my bosom, driving away the troubles that oppressed it, and bearing me uh, to that shadowy region where I saw again the faces and listened to the voices of my children, who, alas, for aught I knew in my waking hours, had fallen into the arms of that other sleep from which they never would arouse. I'm just rereading that. Uh, where I saw again the faces and listened to the voices of my children, who, alas, for aught I knew in my waking hours, had fallen into the hands of that other sleep, which I can't tell if he's saying, like, that day his kids died and he found out about that. I, I swear he said something about returning to them, like, way at the beginning. But maybe not. Um, I think what it's saying is, like, for all I know, they could be dead now. Uh, you know, kind of a like a hypothetical musing, but maybe he's actually saying that. I don't know. So this uh, this chapter was, I mean, violent at the beginning. Yes, um, I I expected it to be, um, well, I expected it to be more brutal. There was definitely you know some visceralness at the beginning, but um. 
Yeah. So that that cliffhanger. No, I wasn't disappointed by the cliffhanger. I'm glad that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I hate beats. Clearly, <laughs> uh, very very bad, very bad person. Um, but uh, um, yeah, I was expecting you know some infraction, and then he gets you know whipped and all that stuff. So I'm glad that didn't happen. I don't feel good about this though. I know Ford is a relatively kind master and will certainly nurse uh, Solomon uh, back to health um, at least for a while, but I do feel like he is going to feel a sense of obligation and return Solomon. Uh, but maybe not. We'll see. I mean, maybe he'll buy him back and protect him and, uh, you know, I mean, he's certainly not going to, you know, free him or something. Uh, but yeah, the chapter is done, by the way. I didn't really declare that, but I just started talking about it. <laughs> so, um, thank you, uh, for listening. If you like what I do, um, you can, uh, rate and review on iTunes. Um, I guess if you don't like it, you can rate too, but you know, I'd prefer the nice ones. Um, <laughs> uh, you can, uh, reach out for constructive criticism, suggestions for books, um, uh, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, you can either email at reading comma poorly at gmail.com. That's R E A D I N G C O M M A P O O R L Y at Gmail. That's spelled out. Um, or, uh, Twitter at reading poorly, which I do try to update at least weekly, but, uh, with, you know, Hey, here's the new episode. I do not always succeed at that, but I try, uh, <sighs> what else? Um, Oh, yes. Uh, subscribe on whatever platform you like. Uh, if the platform you like does not have the podcast available, again, feel free to reach out. Let me know. Uh, I can see if I can, if there's some sort of application process or something, because there is for some of them. Uh, and I will try to get on it. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, I think we're good. So thank you for listening this long to me. Reading poorly.